0: the platforms for, for visibility or kind of presence in the cultural field is, has expanded to such a degree. Everybody can be an artist now. The question is, are they an interesting artist? <laughs> or are they just some crazy guy on YouTube? Or are they some, just some, some kid in art school who wants to become famous? Know, who knows? But I mean, I don't think, you know, art's interesting art's interesting art. It's
1: in there. It's driven by people that are asking consequent questions. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist, I've been a journalist for nearly 20 years, most recently as the Home and Design Director at Departures Magazine, and this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. My guest today is an artist who meanders through the creative landscape, defying categorization. Looking at any single piece of his, you might think he's a painter one minute, a sculptor the next or maybe even an architect or interior designer. His name is Jorge Pardo. And when pressed, he's considered himself a sculptor. He was born in Cuba, lived and studied in Chicago and Los Angeles, and now divides his time between Mexico and New York. But the jolly low-key Pardo will tell you he just likes to make things. They're colorful things too, but he wouldn't dwell on it much. Lamps, installations of multicolored tile, sofas, angular structures with stained glass-like walls, and my personal favorite, a permanent installation in Liverpool that looks like a Dr. Seuss book come to life. Even though he's hard to define, he's been recognized throughout the world of art. His pieces are in the collection of the Pompidou in Paris, the Tate Modern, the Whitney, New York's MoMA, and more. His latest show, All Bets Are Off, recently wrapped at New York's Petzel Gallery. It included large paintings, a massive chandelier made from CNC parts, and a large, swirling, curved, multicolored sofa. The best way to understand this artist is his latest eponymous monograph, distributed by Simon & Schuster. Just like his portfolio, it includes diverse contributions from Maya Hoffman, Ian Vollner, and famed curator Hans Ulrich Obrist. But to me, Jorge Pardo embodies a kind of Gen X spirit that seems refreshing in today's art world. He doesn't really care what people think, He just wants to make what he makes, however he wants, whenever he wants. He's not pretentious and has no axe to grind. He's just a happy art warrior. I caught up with Jorge from the offices of his gallery right as the show opened. You were born in Havana, but you moved to the U.S. when you were about six. Uh, do you have any early memories of your life in in Cuba? I have some I mean they're very uh, fragmented I guess and my earliest
0: memories are probably just going to the doctor. I was very allergic to things I had a lot of allergies and stuff and then and I just also remember just the you know big part of the kind of uh, the family dialogue was about leaving Cuba because, you know, the, when you apply to immigrate just and, it, and sometimes you wait years for that because wow. it's a it's a lottery system. I think we ended up waiting like two and a half or three years or something like that. So it was always it was always about we're going to we're going to America. We're going to America. <laughs> and there's there's
1: cheese and ham and <laughs> and toys <laughs> and freedom and <laughs> all this So when you were able to leave Cuba with your family, where did you end up? We went to Chicago and, uh, it was, uh, I mean, it's,
0: we just sort of adopted a very traditional American working class life, you know, like, um, my parents we were we weren't we didn't really have anything in cuba that, that you could say was left behind sort of hoopla and hyperbola. a lot of the people who left cuba kept talking about how much they had and blah 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 but i would imagine a large percentage of them are are like us they were just kind of like these people who probably were from the country and they went to havana and and uh, they they kind of had felt like they had some mobility you know, connected to the American economy and things like that. And when the revolution hit, that mobility immediately stopped. And if you didn't want to be a communist in the Communist Party and part of the thing, you just didn't buy all that crap. You kind of tried to get out. And, uh, you know, but we when we got to Chicago, it was, you know, my parents got jobs in factories. Um, Chicago in 1969 was a very, uh,
1: you know, highly industrialized town and the region was highly industrialized. OK, so you grew up in Chicago and then you went to university, but. You studied biology at first. How did you get from that to fine art? Well, you know, being a biology student is
0: it's like being a it's free med is a little bit like free law. It's sort of like you can kind of do so many. It's it's you don't necessarily have to become a doctor. You can do other things. And and then I I, I just took an elective. I took an elective and at the University of Illinois, and it was a painting class. And then I and I made a lot of paintings. I, I had a lot of fun. My instructor in that class, Susan Sensman, just like at the end of the class or something like that, or what towards just like grabbed my arm and said, Jorge, what are you doing with your life? And <laughs> I said, I, I, I don't know. And then, you know, about a year into it, my instructor, Susan Sensman, said, well, you know, Jorge, you should, you should go to an art school. She said, the best art schools are in California. I have some friends who teach at some of them, blah 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 i can give you a recommendation and all that stuff and and my brother was in la because he he had just gotten out of the marine corps and uh so i went and stayed with him got into an art school and and that was it i never looked back
1: before we return to jorge a word from our sponsor jaloux evaniste jaloux evaniste are creators of collectible design made in france based in a medieval village in Brittany. The atelier is led by Aesthetic Director, Sandra Skolnick-Jaloux, and Master Cabinet Maker, Jan Jaloux. Les Jaloux design their own collections and collaborate with top interior designers from around the world on bespoke commissions for private residences and superyachts, and brands such as Dior, Lalique, and Cartier have all embraced their work. One of the materials that Jaloux specializes in is mica, as Sandra explains. Mica is a rare mineral easily split into thin layers which can be applied as a veneer to furniture. The surface becomes a textural mosaic. We were able to buy the last major stash of green mica, and we've experimented with the material's amazing potential. In our Joel console, we contrasted pixelated planes of green mica with the liquid sheen of black lacquer and brass accents. It's that mix of materials that gives our pieces their sense of refinement and delicacy. And that has always fascinated us. For more information, visit jalou.com. That's J A L L U.com. Jorge Pardo's work defies easy definition. I wanted to find a bit more about how someone's career grows and evolves to encompass such a wide range of output, and especially how he feels about being called a designer. How would you describe your early life as an artist when you graduated from art school and, and and what was that that those early days like for you?
0: Well, when I graduated from art school, I'd had a little success with a group of work and by success I mean that the more serious teachers were like they started to realize that maybe there's something this kids' doing something or whatever I don't know and you sort of get kind of singled out a bit I had some I, in 1989 or 88 or something like that I had a, a, a gallerist this guy, had, tom solomon who's holly solomon's son and uh tom had, a, had just started a, a gallery called the garage it was literally in a, in a two-car garage i guess through different sort of people that were affiliated with the art school and blah, blah blah so well you should look at this kid and blah 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 and i was maybe 26 or 27 and uh, and he said uh i'd like to show the this work that you've been doing it's these pinhole cameras that kind of take pictures of themselves and uh I remember saying to him, I said, you know, I don't know, Tom, I think I don't want to show those in a gallery as a show because I kind of made them in school. And I I think there's a kind of a a strange artifice in that context. And it's like, I
1: kind of want to make some new work and see if I even want to be an artist. And was it something about it being kind of almost conceptual that kind of turned you off that you kind of made like, no, I want to make something new and, and, and create. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't like the fact, I mean, I thought those works
0: I like those works I mean I think those works for for me a, a very important in terms of understanding certain aspects of how photography and, and picture making and notions of subjectivity versus objectivity and like you know where where sort of like intentions of things lie and how do you kind of put that into play with 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 a, like a photographic project how do you make f- photographs I mean, what are the limits of, of what a photograph is and isn't and things like that so this is really useful to me from the point of view of actually like understanding the kind of work I was interested in I don't really like the word conceptual why not because I think it's 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 a cliche now and if maybe it always was to some degree because it's it's a it's like a it's like a little cliched soundbite sort of thing or something I think uh, most interesting artists whether they were conceptual artists or not probably had a, a, a kind of a complex relationship to like what they were producing that w- that was larger than just the object let's say I was very interested in that was interested in like how to how to read works and how to sort of read history and how this type of object, which is like which is one one typology, can be threaded into something that's through historically threaded through things that that are different kinds of objects and those uh, sort of uh, transmutations of what of form in, in the in the art painting and sculpture what, and the complexity of that is was really sort of drove me to to inquire into making
1: work. How would you describe your work today if someone you met someone in in an elevator and and, and they asked you what you do how would you how would you answer? I just say I'm a
0: sculptor because it's kind of embarrassing to to explain well, i'm a sculptor but i make lamps I, and i do i make funny things i'm, I'm sometimes i make i make architecture and, blah, blah. and then they kind of look at you funny like like you're one of those people that like you know who's not really an artist and it's just sort of like and then they always ask you the same thing so do you make a living at it <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah i make a living you know and so i don't really find it easy to describe what i do because it's 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 there's there's a lot of contingencies in terms of what it is and how it works and what those relationships are between the different types of work or the different types of components in the work let's say or different type typologies in the work and uh, but I don't know I mean if you wanted a soundbite of something I mean I guess it's I just do a lot of different things that all ask questions
1: about the nature of what an artwork is and a question you must get asked all the time that must be a little bit tiring by now is that do you consider yourself a designer in any way I think there's, an, there's a kind of a, there's an
0: overlap in the physiognomy of these things, you know, what they actually, what they look like, which is kind of superficial. But at the end of the day, I mean, I don't, I don't participate in design culture or or architectural culture and and not for reasons, not to, to belittle any of those practices or anything like that, but it just, I don't, you know, I, I come from a trajectory of, of you know, art making, uh, you know, being sort of formed in the, in the eighties and all the, all the sort of, Tributary notions that come from that type of a formation, and uh, and I think it's very different than, let's say, being trained to be a a designer or an architect or whatever. Generally, I, I I I always think that like you know these other fields that I sort of ape are just that. You know, I, 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 they're they're sort of they they get instrumentalized, and maybe they maybe the, there's something productive in that confusion that I think sort of destabilizes the viewer of it, and maybe has to ask another question on top of the question or whatever or something like that that I'm interested in. But but I'm not I've never been interested in participating in that field, in those fields in that culture because I primarily come from you know uh, a trajectory of
1: like you know uh, kind of post studio sculpture. And were there artists back, uh, you know, in the eighties and nineties when you were first getting started that um, that really influenced you? Specific artists that kind of? Yeah, I was really inf- I was really influenced by the uh, abstract expressionists uh,
0: in the forties and fifties, and oh, okay. and uh, I was really into like abstraction and what is it about how 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 neat it was to kind of make a picture of making the picture. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Not yeah. not necessarily a picture of a person or a landscape or things like that. I, I kind of always thought that was really interesting that, you know, that these are paintings about painting. And uh, I kind of spent a lot of time
1: making things like that and trying to learn how to think about them, how to look at them and things like that. Can you help explain something to me, uh, this idea uh, that's co- kind of so central to your work about the work of art is sort of engaging with the viewer where the act of viewing it, you become, it sort of becomes part of the artwork itself. Um, Can you explain a little bit about that and how you think about your work uh, in different ways and, and explain this sort of concept to, to those listening? You know um, it
0: begins really when, when I was, I was introduced to art and one of the, and in college in a proper way, let's say, I mean, I drew when I was a kid and stuff. And like, I feel like, like I assimilated in, into becoming an American. I kind of assimilated into becoming an artist. And it's and it, the process always felt very similar. It was something that I had to kind of learn a lot about what I was interested in, not interested in in, in, in the process of assimil to assimilate into it. And uh, as a result of that, you know, I always felt, like I was watching myself be an artist <laughs> because of that process. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was never like one of these kids who, you know, there are a lot of kids that I met in art school who basically didn't not remember, not thinking themselves as an artist, as artists from the time they were, you know, they whatever, but I always did. And I was, I, I always felt like there was me being an artist and me looking at me being an artist <laughs> And I thought you,
1: you still see yourself as an outsider, kind of trying to assimilate in a way.
0: Not as an outsider, but as as because I think I'm smack in the middle of everything. But but I do always have this sort of double bang that goes on in my head about the nature of what's happening and the things that I come up with, or where my where I am in relation to those things. And and early on, I realized it was really important and kind of interesting to me to not just think of my work as somebody who's on this side and the viewers on the other. It's like, how do I make work that's going to complicate me as a producer as much as complicating the viewer? Like, how do I make works that that I can see with that I can sort of, you know, uh, come upon if it's possible. I thought this is a very interesting thing to do because it kind of keeps you in the, in the game of practicing in a, in an
1: interesting way. So where is your studio set up, and and how do you make all of these different kinds of things? Um, Most of the things we
0: make, we make in the studio. i think about 90% of the things that we make, we make in the studio. And the studio's in uh, Merida, Mexico, in the Yucatan, the the state of the Yucatan. We have a pretty, pretty interesting little shop that's not so little. And there's about 10 or 15 guys that I work with, that I have been working with for some of them 15 years, 20 years. Wow. And uh, we make everything there that we can. And we have, you know, we have uh, two CNC machines. We have lasers. We have a full carpenter shop. We have a painting shop. We have a painting studio. We have, you know, and we have a, a brain office where all the computers are. <laughs> and it's, you know, I get to play there. I get to sort of go and like start things. And i and usually, and I don't draw by hand anymore. But even, I, I do sketch to, for quick communication and stuff like that. But most of the things that I want to try to sort of understand their initial you know, impulses as
1: what they're, what it's going to be. I usually draw on the computer. And the, the current show at, at Petzl, touches upon you know the sort of theories of migration and adaptation and, and so much in culture now is about identity and how people identify in different in various different ways as, as you're someone who you know you you live in mexico most of the time but you also have a home in new york and you kind of well it's 50 i'm 50 50
0: i have a i have a three month four month old so now it's less than 50 50 but it'll eventually go back to 50 50 i'm there i'm here 20 days and 10 days there
1: 20 days 10 days there. is the kid in mexico or the kid here in new york in new york, in new oh, york. okay uh, do you think you'll, when you retire, that you'll retire down in Merida, or you'll uh, permanently? Or you, you, you know I think, I think I'm already retired. I just don't retire.
0: <laughs> I was retired when I was, when I was at the University of Illinois. <laughs> that was one of the reasons I really enjoyed becoming an artist, because the sense of that type of time and counting kind of disappears when you when you understand becoming an artist is is something that that you, it's an extension of your life to some degree and not, not, a, job, not a typical job. I mean, I, mean, I, I haven't had a
1: nine-to-five job since 1995 or something Before we return to Jorge, a word from our sponsor, Fort Street Studio. Fort Street Studio's sumptuous carpets are expertly hand-knotted and executed in nuanced color combinations that are the signature of the studio's painterly designs, which originate from watercolor art. With a catalog of over 150 original designs, The brand offers a broad range of options for interior designers to fit any project's needs. Each carpet is customizable in size, shape, and color. As large as 27 feet wide or over 40 feet long for both area rug applications or wall-to-wall. And the company's in-house art studio can scale motifs and repeats to maintain the spirit of each design to adapt to any furniture plan. To create your own bespoke masterpiece carpet, visit... FortStreetStudio.com. So, your new show, uh, "All Bets Are Off," which is a bit of a departure for you. Uh, tell me a little bit about what people will find there.
0: Um, well, it's primarily it's it's primarily a painting show. So, I mean, I, I was I've been sort of working on paintings for the last three or four years, and uh, I've been trying I'm trying to, I was trying to sort of figure out a way to to make pictures using the machines I usually make sculpture with, and uh, and since I spend so much time on the internet, I thought you know I don't, this. Let's I don't really have a studio practice of, of that that's that's like a, like it used to be when I used to paint. But thought, okay, how, how do I turn this into something that that can be as productive and in free form? Is as, as as my sort of perception of what what that was when I painted. And so I just use a lot of images, and and they get. Put on top of each other and they, they get kind of put together really rustically in, in, uh, in Photoshop and, and kind of get taken apart in Illustrator. And then, you know, and then like I like the idea that you have a lot of different images with different sources. A lot of them are paintings. Like I'll collect paintings of people that I think are interesting and I'll just start sort of layering them one on top of the other and one on top of the other. I like that. At a certain point, you can kind of mitigate and control the relationships between those things as they appear and disappear and and I don't have to make pictures like more of a process of it's a collation process <laughs> and it's sort of like you just do it and do it and do it and do it and at a certain point you kind of like but you find yourself in a very similar space that it's like oh that one's that last iteration it was less interesting than this one or this, and you start again so i've just i mean i it's 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 a it's a way for me to kind of in an interesting way for me to sort of generate pictures which I've always I've always made paintings but it's never been
1: a kind of central condition in the work and then in the center of the of, of the gallery there's these sort of this sofa artwork I guess you can call it can you describe this piece
0: yeah it's just a, it's, it's
1: like a little big thing and it's just got
0: it's sort of uh, this kind of circular s- section and it's got these two wings that kind of follow the geometry of the circle, but they're open. So I just thought it would be nice to make a couch where the guy who sits in front and looks around can have somebody behind them and looking at them look. (laughs) So I thought this is, this is kind of, let's, that might be interesting as a, as a reflexive condition that you apply into this, this couch. And it's always nice to sit in the show, but I, I, what I was really thinking about was like, how do you make a couch that's not just
1: front face to face, but like you can actually watch somebody like looking at the painting and you're sitting right behind. Them. <laughs> and do you encourage people to sit in it for in the gallery and, and look at the painting? I don't encourage it, but I don't discourage it. I, uh, it's not, there's no little pine cone on the, on the, on the seat. That, no, no, like, you can sit, you, you, you can sit in, in
0: them, but, and then you should, but, but it's not like, I mean, they, they are what they are. I mean, you know, like, uh, and they're not, and as a type of object, it's not that dissimilar what you, than what you find in galleries and museums anyway. You know, like there's a sort of type of design,
1: furniture design called the museum bench, <laughs> you know, and this is this. So this is your version of the museum. bench. This is
0: just one other iteration of that.
1: So um, switching gears for a second, I'm fascinated by your hotel, the Arletan in France. It's featured in your book. And I wanted to know, as someone who is not a designer, how did you come about creating an entire hotel?
0: Well, um, the project came about. I was I was sort of a, a called one day and said, you know, I have this hotel by Maya Hoffman, who's, who's, who's like the person who was kind of in the most significant person, cultural person in that town, and she she was involved in in doing uh, Luma, which is an, organiz- an arts an arts and cultural organization, and they were doing a, a Frank Gehry building. Anyway, um, she invited me to come and look at the. She said, I still remember. I was like, Jorge, I I think I found a hotel for you. And she was an she was an art collector, so she was somebody who had bought some works, and I'd known her for a while, not well, but and I thought it was interesting that she sort of like understood that okay, I have this place for an artist, and when that happens, that's always really special to some degree, because you are it's understood that uh, you know that you're going to be working in architecture, but you you have architects at your disposal <laughs> and I'd never made a hotel. I had an interest in making hotels, but I, made, I had an interest in this place and I had an interest in working with Maya I had an interest in in, 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 like the scale of this project. Cause it seemed like something that was, that I hadn't managed before. The first thing I did was I, I just sort of said, okay, this project needs like an organizing principle of some sort. And so I thought, you know, why don't we just make a floor, uh, kind of a pattern that's complex enough to kind of uh, morph into other types of shapes that feel different and look different and things like that. And then why don't we use a lot of different color? And what I realized we could do was that if we really focused on, on the administrative aspect of the color, and because the pattern is sort of diverse and changes and you can put less here and there you know i think it would be really interesting to make a floor like a like a seventy thousand square foot floor that that encompasses the entire hotel that every every meter that you move through it the aesthetically it moves with you it changes it's like the pattern changes a bit but it's still the same pattern it changes because of color placement and things like that and it goes and in order to do that we had to really like manage every tile you know and i i don't remember but i think we had the, the the pattern itself has about 18 shapes 20 shapes or something like that and then there were about 30 or 40 colors so we had we went and figured out this we 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 made these crazy spreadsheets that basically allowed us to put every color in, in every room and every oh and that and that it kept moving it kept changing and so it was like it was a project that logistically was a nightmare it was an interesting nightmare but it, because of of the specificity of the relationship between the color and the pattern and its movement and the fact that it didn't repeat, I consider it a picture because it's not really a pattern. It's like where you, depending on where you're on the hotel, the floor is moving like either through shape or color, or, you know, it starts like yellow on one end and you look down and it's like, ends up purple or something or the, or the little shapes are, are privileged versus the big ones and things like that. So it's, it, I don't know if it's a picture or not. I call it a picture, but it's a picture to me because it, it uh, its in its entirety was managed as a picture, and not usually. It's, and it's not usually common in patterns. Patterns are usually they're used
1: to do the opposite things to, to to repeat and 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 you know relegate some sense of control. And in your monograph, yes, going through it, there's such a strong. Obviously, for someone like me who's a design person, I'm always sort of drawn to the work that has tile in it, and these sort of like colorful tiles and where does this love of tile sort of come from is it like a really reliable way of inserting color and pattern that you kind of can't escape if you're like looking at a space like where does this
0: yeah and it's like you know and i think i think it's interesting to sort of set a trap with that to some degree so that like and you said can't escape i mean it's that sort of holds the viewer in this sort of somewhat mesmerizing space of Excessive color or shape or whatever, but then you can do other things. You can add, you can start to kind of bring other other sort of problems into the work. And and I've, I've said this a lot, but I mean, I, I I think of color as as a as a kind of a like a a lure when you catch a fish or something like that. It's not the fish. It's a. It's it's like some funny thing that acts like the fish, but it, if you look at it closely, it looks absolutely nothing like the fish. So my relationship to color is very utilitarian in the sense. I think it's I think it's important to to make works that that people will stay in for kind of a, a longer duration of time if you can control that to some degree, and then it becomes a space where a lot of other things can happen
1: too. And did you have any trepidation about taking this on as as sort of a, a total artwork uh, of That was in the shape of a hotel with rooms and a, and a cafe and, and restaurant and, and stairwell and lobby and all that kind of stuff. Like, did you think, oh gosh, are people just going to kind of put me in more of a design box that I don't want to be in? Or did you just. No, I just thought of it processionally. And it's like, I thought, you know, I've never seen a floor like that. It, it's
0: ridiculously eccentric to do. And I just started layering things on the in the place. And it's like, okay, we're going to do this here. Oh, we're going to do this here. And it's like, and then like people would say, well, you need to have curtains. Like, okay, well, what can we do with those things? Can we do? But it was sort of like, for, as a process, it was sort of done really a lot like an artistic project that, that you have in the studio to some degree. And, we, and a lot of things we made in the studio, we made a lot of the furniture in the studio. We made a lot of all the lighting in the in the studio. And it was like, but it was it's a processional process. So in other words, uh, it's relationship to programming program is a little bit different. Like architectural program is, is, is really the, that is the organizing principle, generally speaking, when you make, when you make buildings, it's like, you know, what is this going to be? And uh, everything is sort of subjugated to that, to some this, this was like that, but the process was different, you know, because we didn't have to, you know, in architecture, you, you kind of models and renderings are really important because they're sales tools, you know, and uh, like, we don't really, we didn't really have any models or any other stuff. We just kind of did things. Oh, that looks cool. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> you
1: know, So in both your home that was recently published in AD, as well as this hotel in France, both have this sky blue color that keeps showing up. Where does that blue come from?
0: You know, uh, I found out. when I I was uh, having my last child and we did like, you know, everybody does the genetic testing and stuff. And then I I found out that uh, I'm kind of colorblind. Oh. And uh,
1: in a specific way, like a certain like reds and greens or kind of thing or just
0: in a very specific way, blues and yellows. I didn't know. I mean, I was like part of genetic testing and stuff before we had the baby was uh, was to sort of, you know, I wasn't that young and (laughs) make sure everything's okay And and I get a call (laughs) from the genetically, lady with, with you get your test back whatever and uh and she's like um was your grandfather colorblind and i go yeah how'd you know she goes oh well you have colorblind issues too <laughs> it came up in, the, in your genetics you uh you have you have issues with blue and yellow
1: wow and have you ever been tested for this like you know those those Tests you used to take as a—I mean—as a kid, we were given these colorblind tests all the time, just on a genetic level,
0: but never on a visual level. I was thought I was like, I, but apparently, I see those colors differently than than other people, and so—and it's funny because you know, I, like, I—I I remember my wife was next to me when I took the phone call, and we're sitting around, and it's like we're in this gr- in our bedroom in this this green room, which she finds kind of annoying, but I I find really <laughs> soothing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she just started laughing at wow. <laughs> that's And how long ago was that that you even just discovered this? Oh, a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, wow. So pretty, pretty. Do you now look, look back on, on on older works that you've done or and, and earlier on in your life where you're like, oh, wow, maybe certain works came to be the way that they were because you had... You couldn't your your sense of color was maybe a little bit different than everyone else's.
0: Maybe I mean I don't know I, I never I don't I don't I don't feel like I have a lack of some sort. It's not like I'm colorblind. I just have issues with these two colors that have been specifically identified genetically in in, in me. But uh, I don't I can still see color. I just the way it was explained to me, it's like well I go well what do you mean? I'm like colorblind. He's like no you you see the colors but they're not you don't see them in, in 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 a normal way. This is what the test is telling us.
1: And and this sort of one of my My favorite works of yours is the installation in Liverpool of sort of street lamps, sort of sculptures in this sort of – it's not a roundabout, but it's sort of like – I'm not sure what you would call it. But like it's a sort of a a median space with with a kind of road that goes around it. Um, It makes me think about the way that you create this sort of another world with this like sculpture and how it kind of transforms Liverpool, which is not, of course, maybe perhaps the most beautiful city um like i made me think like if there was a Jorge Pardo village if you could design a village or create a village i should say from scratch uh what would it look like what would it be like to live there i don't know i mean i think i usually
0: approach those kinds of problems and i mean by that i mean interesting problems and assignments and things like that and and possibilities and from a from a kind of a locality and then a kind of an eccentricity, what can be and what, how can you stretch this type of building or this type that has this type of function and things like that. But I don't know what it would look like. I think it would look, it would, it would look like something that it would evolve from a series of gestures and responses and problems that I would find ways to kind of have responses that might be elegant or might be eccentric or might, you know, a lot of things. I mean, it's very general what I'm talking about, but I, I think that it would be Like the things I've done, but probably a little bit different than the things I've done. I mean, uh, I like uh, Gio Mm Ponti a lot. I think he's he's one of the most interesting people of the last second half of the century, and and it's because of his mobility through things and styles, things that he did that
1: that I find him really engaging. I mean, also a love of a great use of tile, also in both his work and yours. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, tile is old you know it's it's been around and once you stick it on the wall you can't take it off which is nice you can't (laughs) can't resell it or anything
1: (laughs) do you design like if someone comes to you and says i want you to design an entire home for me like would you do you take those commissions on
0: um i've been asked and then they realize that they have to live in what i want and then it (laughs) kind of falls apart or like people yeah. will call and they'll, we have a commission. We saw your lamps and blah, but do you have any lamps? You have any inventory of those lamps? Like, well, we don't really have inventory. We kind of do shows with them and they go to the galleries. You're welcome to go to the gallery. It's like, if you were interested in the commission, maybe we the studio could work with you on that or something like that. But um, there's only one problem. and That's like, you don't get to pick what it is and <laughs> you got to sign up for it before it starts
1: and you you said once uh in, in a video that you design exhibitions that you put things on display as like a way of sort of encapsulating your work
0: yeah I think what artists really do is they uh they show you things more than anything else you know it could be anything it could be painting it could be a shoe it could be a software that they whatever and, and what, what kind of corrals all those sort of motions together is, is, is the exhibition, the idea that, that, hey, come to see something. I'm going to show you something. I mean, it's kind of we're the only people in the world that, that are given that kind of liberty in the sense that it's like architects have expanded on that to some degree, but it's still always cumbersome and awkward in the, in the, in the, in the, in the applied fields, in the plastic arts, in the, in the fine arts, it was never a problem because we were never bound by this contract of utility or, or something like that. So you just, you, 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 what you were putting out in the world was, it was always kind of known and, and expected that it was, you know, optically sort of
1: discursive as it's, as the primary sort of product that was being produced, that, that was being made, that is made. And you were given a grant from the MacArthur Foundation in, in 2010, uh, which is sort of like a condition-free, right? Me, you were able to do whatever you wanted with it. What did you wind up doing with that with that money? I think I used it for my divorce or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd used it very well, I guess. I used it well. Very, very well. <laughs> and, uh,
0: uh, something like that. I mean, I think it all just oh, got gosh. sucked into my lifestyle or something, which I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> wasn't able even to save it. <laughs> so it was useful. I guess you didn't, you know. I think it was because useful, I think, and I think it was used yeah. in the way it was supposed to be used, which is it's it's time to help you, right? It you, you know you you ex you
1: get extra time because maybe you don't have to sell that that many works, you can slow down a little bit, that you know things like that. So, how does someone like Jorge Pardo spend his Sundays? I watch a lot of YouTube. Anybody can make content and. What do you like? What do you like to do? What what channels do you subscribe to on YouTube? I like to fish, so I watch a lot of fishing shows. Wow! <laughs> what kind of fishing show? Like fly, fly fishing or ocean um, fishing?
0: Ocean fishing, and you know, I, since I I live part of the time in Mexico, I, I I fish down there as often as I can. What do you fish for? It's the waters are somewhat like Southern Florida, so something very similar. You know, like mm. different types of snapper
1: and like blackfin tunas and. All kinds of stuff like Kobia, uh, Wahoo. Wow. And do you, are you somewhat like, what do you love about fishing? Like, what makes it to me? To me, it's very boring. My dad is always trying to get my, get to, have me uh inherit a love of fishing that i just kind of can't get into how do you why do you love fishing
0: i love the boredom of it and i love that you can't do anything else when you're out there and i like eating fish <laughs> oh okay <laughs> so
1: do are you do you cook things yourself that, yeah, when yeah. You catch?
0: yeah i like cooking a lot and I, I like fish a lot and uh i don't have a i used to fly airplanes little tiny airplanes and i didn't and then I, I needed a hobby, so I, I got involved in fishing. And I like that I'm learning because I haven't been doing it for that long. I mean, I've maybe been doing it for about five years now. And you know, and you you kind of catch a little more fish every year, a little bit, a little bit more consistently, and you know, things like that. It's fun. And,
1: and, and someone who sort of weaves in and out of genres in terms of people's perceptions. Do you have any frustrations with the art market and the art world, quote unquote, as it stands today? That is in such flux and um i mean i have the, i think we all i have the the, the same general ones that, that everybody sort
0: of from my generation has is that uh, it's been highly professionalized and uh it's really kind of it's it's become like any emerging market that is like you know i think it was kind of fun when i was a student because the people who ended up in art school were all kind of idiots smart idiots <laughs> but you know yes. what i mean they were eccentric there were people who <laughs> remember like you know at the university of Illinois there were like two or three guys who had graduated Four years before but they refused to leave the school and they would sort of have this corner and it's like but no they wouldn't get kicked out <laughs> they were still, you, know, you like these kind of weird hippie punk uh you know people who like were not it was it was really clear that that they were involved in some very unorthodox type of productivity
1: so in all of your work from your hotel to the paintings and your latest show what would you say all of them have in common
0: i think the the, the thing that that's that maybe you know, threads some sort of commonality, they're always contextually eccentric things. And that, like, conditional, you know, read, readily conditional sort of readings of, of context don't always help you to feel like you've totalized the work, I hope.
1: Thank you to Jorge and the team at Petzel Gallery for making this episode happen. You can find Jorge's monograph wherever books are sold and visit petzel.com for more information on the artist's work. The editor of this episode is Stan Hall. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Grand Tourist. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more. And don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time.